welcome. This is the last in the series on Mastermind. This is episode five. I've enjoyed this series. I hope you have too. And if this is your first Sunday here, um, I'm going to do my best to make sure that this is a standalone and it helps you kind of get a hold of some things. Um, and everything else is previous to this is available online if you decide you want to check out what we've been working on together. What a great series. I'm sort of sad. We're at the last one. It's so helpful, this information. Change your thinking, change your life. You are always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. That's kind of what we've been looking at together. And we've been seeing how there's a kind of a coming together of um, old theology, which is true, theology, and new science as it relates to our brain and how our thoughts work, it's all been coming together, saying some of the same things, and it's been fascinating, the things we're learning. So your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. If you can think of your strongest thoughts being like, if you have a lawn, you keep walking the same path, and it wears out a groove in the lawn where the grass disappears, and there's that path that's the one you go to all the time. Scripture describes that as, if it's not a good path, a stronghold in your life. And you can take captive those thoughts and bring it to obedience to Christ. Now, interestingly, the study of the brain now has discovered the same thing, that you can use your thoughts from your mind to train your brain and dismantle the pathway, let the grass grow back, so to speak, over there, while you create a new pathway which is healthier for you. And so the scripture talks about that, renewing your mind. Now, we're going to take a look at week five, and week five is called responsibility, and everybody said, uh, responsibility. Now, I want you to notice, though, I spelled it different. It's response ability, okay? And so we're going to take a look at this concept that when all of this does come together, it means that we can change. If we will use some of the things and the tools that God has given us, the divinely powerful tools, we can recreate pathways in our brains with our minds and his tools to change our life. And it's now, rather than go, I'm just stuck. It's the way I am. No, you have a response ability now, and you can bring those truths to bear in your life. Now, the reason why I took a little bit of time to review where we've been is that otherwise, today will sound like one of those very churchy messages, very old-time message about old-time words, and I want us to see that, no, this is maybe an old-time thought that has a new punch to it as it comes together for us, and so I'm hoping that helps us get there. We're going to begin where all of the biographies of Jesus began. It's interesting that every one of the biographers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, start with this prophet by the name of John. They label him John the Baptist. Now, you need to understand, that's not like John the Baptist like a denomination, as opposed to like John the Presbyterian, John the Methodist, John the Lutheran. No, we're not talking about John the Baptist. That's not what we're talking about. So from this point forward, think of him as 
John who baptizes. So we'll call him Johnny Dunker, okay? <laughs> Johnny Dunker. It's John who baptizes. That's who we're talking about. Now, there hadn't been a prophet for a long, long time. When John comes on the scene, his message was, the king is here. He's almost here. The one that we've been hoping for and praying for and all the prophecies are about, he's just about to arrive. And so you need to repent and be baptized. And so we're going to jump right into how Matthew begins. That. And you, it's interesting when you have all four of the biographies saying the same thing and starting the same place. There's some power there, and I think you'll notice that and be glad you came and heard it today. Matthew 3, 1 through 2 reads, in those days, Johnny Dunker, actually, well, <laughs> sorry, indulge me here, uh, came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, I want you to remember that phrase because that was his message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, there's that really old word. It's kind of a churchy word. It's very misunderstood because you don't use it in everyday world. It's only in churchy places and religious places that we use the word repent. So we kind of need to dig into this word and see what it really means because a lot of misunderstanding is here about this word, okay? If you turn the page to Matthew chapter 4, interestingly, if you remember what we just heard, Jesus says the same thing. So we read in Matthew 4, 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Now, when you have that kind of a preamble to what he's about to say, you realize this was the same message as John's message, but it was Jesus' message through the duration of his ministry. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So since that was the message of Jesus, we need to understand what that message was. And we need to get it right and not wrong with all these misunderstandings of what this means. So let me help you here with a little bit of wordplay, but it's helpful, I think. If not, throw it out. Number one, repentance equals regret and return. Repentance equals regret and return. Now, that's a real quick way to say what repentance is. Now, the reason why I say this is, in an old Latin translation of the Greek New Testament, they translated the word repentance, which we're going to dig into and see what the definition is. They translated the word repentance into a word that means penance, like you have to do something, do penance, and that's a wrong translation of the word repentance. And so we need to get a hold of what's the right translation of the word repentance. It is a regret and a return. Now here's what's really cool about this, because we're going to see this neuroplasticity, this big term from neurology and the new science that's figuring out how our brain pathways work. We're going to see that there's a similarity of thought here as we define this very old word. So in the Greek, the word for repentance is metanoia, literally means change of mind. Bing, 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 bing. So we've been talking about this the whole five weeks, that if you change your mind, change the pathway that you have in your brain, that you've been going down this groove, you can literally change your life. And that's what the word means, literally change of mind. It is a regret that leads to a return to God. It is the state of changing any or all of your attitudes, thoughts, and behaviors concerning the demands of God for right living. So let's move on and kind of get more pieces of this. So here's a reflect. Repentance is more than saying, oh, I feel bad. 
can't believe I did that. Repentance is admitting you were wrong and that you have a change of thinking that leads you to, a, to new actions you're ready to move in. It means a turning point, a turning back to God. So if you don't mind me doing some more wordplay here, point number two, it gets at the same definition this way. Repentance is a U-turn, which is a U-turn. Now, just in case you're listening in the audio and you can't see what I just said, a U-turn with a U is a turnaround, or a U-turn with a Y-O-U, you are turning around. So you are doing a U-turn, okay? That's what repentance is. Simple? Oh, my, it is not simple. Not even to understand this truth is it simple. There's so much mystery here that I'm going to start to share with you. It's like the more I said it, I was like, oh, my. And so I'm really excited to share some of the things that I oh my at. So before I con- continue, part of the mystery is it sounds like, okay, so just change your mind. Well, it sounds like, well, if you change, if you just follow the you know, science, you use your mind to create a new path in your brain and you literally let the grass grow up on that path and take down the grass on this one, create this new pathway and this perfect thing works to change your life. So let's go with the self-help. And this is one thing that repentance will not allow you to do. Self-help will not go far enough. And of course, you know why self-help will not go far enough because self is the problem. And since self is the problem, self-help won't work. And so we're trying to figure out, how does this work if it's not self-help? Now, I'm going to read, if you're not, not an auditory learner, I'm sorry, I'm not going to put all this on the screen. So I'm going to read some pretty significant quotes from a fellow by the name of C.S. Lewis. He's a very good thinker. And uh, I'm not going to include the part that my mind is do mind benders around, but this is some good stuff I'm going to read to you. Repentance is not something God demands of you before he will take you back in which he could let you off if he chose, it is simply a description of what going back to him is like. If you ask God to take you back without it, you are really asking him to let you go back without going back. Now, he does an interesting thing there. So repentance isn't this. It isn't, God, I repent. I'm so sorry I'm doing this. Would you please forgive me? Oh, thank you. And then you keep going without going back. See, in our culture today, the gospel proclamation is being misunderstood that way so frequently that it is a little troublesome. That what we want in America is we want God's stamp of approval, his forgiveness, so we can keep going in the opposite direction of God because that's what we want to do. We just want to make sure that he loves us enough to get us into heaven so... I repent, I'm sorry, forgive me, thank you, and then I go do it and continue on my path. But that is not repentance. Because repentance is actually going back. It's what going back and turning back to God looks like. That's what C.S. Lewis is saying. Then he goes on to say, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. Laying down your arms, surrendering, saying you are sorry, Realizing that you have been on the wrong track and getting ready to start life all over again from the ground floor, that is the only way out of our hole. By hole, he means our problem. This process of surrender, and I love this phrase, I had to look it up because I'm not a sailor. This process of surrender, this movement full steam astern, 
is what Christians call repentance. So just in case you didn't catch that. So if you're in a boat, you go forward. It means full steam astern. Is now you're going that direction. Whoa. I was going full steam this direction. Now full steam astern means now I'm going this direction. That's repentance. Okay? This thing is no fun at all. It is something much harder than merely eating humble pie. It means unlearning all the self-conceit and self-will that we have been training ourselves into for thousands of years. It means killing part of yourself, undergoing a kind of death. In fact, it needs a good man to repent. And here's the catch. Now get ready for the catch. Only a bad person needs to repent. Only a good person can repent perfectly. The worse you are, the more you need it, and the less you can do it. The only person who could do it perfectly would be a perfect person, and he would not need it. (laughs) Now, whoa. What do we do with that? When all of the message of Jesus and all of the message of John is repent, and if you're a bad person, you don't want to, or maybe you can't. And if you're a good person, you could, but you don't need to. That's repentance. And so that really creates a catch, a problem, and we're going to resolve that problem by the end of today. Good luck with that, Jim. How are you going to do that? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Point number three, repentance is taking responsibility. So we need to get a hold of what this is about. Now, when John, Johnny Dunker, (laughs) The baptizer called the nation of Israel out to the wilderness, to the Jordan River, to be baptized. He wasn't inventing baptism. Baptisms were used in that day frequently for Gentiles. That means non-Jews who say, you know what? I like their God rather than our pagan gods and all the many gods that we've been serving. They just seem wicked and bad. I like their holy God. I want to serve him. Before they could become a follower of the God that the Jews proclaimed, they had to be baptized, which was repenting of their filthy Gentile ways, asking for forgiveness and being dunked, wash ceremonial and begin to then worship God. Here's what John did. He was asking Jews to choose to be Jewish and ask to be forgiven so they could follow the God of the Jews. Rather than just be born Jewish, shouldn't you choose the way of goodness like the Gentiles are choosing the way of goodness? And that was John's message. You need to repent too. You need to turn to God. It's not enough that you have all your Jewishness and you have the signs given to you as a child and the forebearers and ancestors. You need to be baptized. And all of the common people responded with amazing response to John, Johnny Dunker. Okay? So hundreds and hundreds, thousands and thousands were being baptized by John. There was a group of people that refused. They weren't buying it. Now here's the thing. Before we talk about the ones that weren't buying it, The common people, they were struck in the soul. Like John was speaking a message and they just resonated with, it's so true, it's so true. Because John's message was, here's how you've sinned, here's how you've sinned. If you want to turn around, this is what you need to do. And they said, it's so true, we need to do this. The common people, here's what I've discovered, it's not just back then, today, I don't need to spend a lot of time convincing a common person in our culture, you have sinned. I don't. Because we're neck deep in it. And if I just simply say, you know what? Have you been able to live up to your ideal 
person? Oh my God, are you the man that you want to be? Are you the father that you think is the ideal father? Are you the husband that's like the ideal husband? Have you been able to love people the way you think is the ideal? Have you been able to live that out? And man, we're up to the neck in self-centeredness and sinfulness. And it doesn't take a lot of convincing. People go, yeah, no, I need to change. I really need something because this isn't right. I know it's not right. I'm not even happy with myself. That's not true, though, of everybody. When John confronted the religious group of people, they're all Jews. There was a super religious elite called the Pharisees. They absolutely didn't buy it. They said, we're not going to be baptized. We have this thing. We're devout. We were born and raised with the truth. We have the truth. We got the temple. We go to the temple for all of our sins. We are clean. We are good. We don't need to act like the Gentiles. That's humiliating. Why would I shame and humble myself and be baptized as if I had a problem? That's where they're coming from. Now, interestingly enough, they would have a hard time coming to our church because our whole mission is you need to move from wherever you are to where God wants you to be. And they say, we've already arrived. What do you mean? Move where? You can preach to the rest of the people. You don't need to preach to us. We got it. That was the Pharisees. So they refused to repent because they thought they were good. Jesus later says, I have not come to save the righteous, but the sinner. The Pharisees are outside of reachability by a Savior because they don't think they need a Savior. There is a problem there. The reflect. This was Jesus' message. Take responsibility and repent. I'll help you. If you could summarize all of Jesus' message, it's this. It's not self-help. You need to take responsibility. You're right. I'm a mess. I'm a sinner. I need help. I'm turning to you. Would you help me? He says, absolutely. That's what the whole message is all about. I will help you. Now, Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis I am going to put on the screen. God isn't there to hand out free hall passes to do whatever we want. No, he asks us to repent. Then he graciously enters our lives and helps us walk through the changes that we need, setting us free by grace through Jesus Christ. Okay? Have you met somebody that they view Christianity as saved by grace? And they interpret saved by grace. Grace means you got, I got a free hall pass. I was baptized way back in 19, whatever it was. And now I'm good. I'm good. And then they go off their merry way. Do you believe in Jesus? I believe in Jesus. You're going to be saved. Yeah, because he died for me on the cross. And then you look at them and they're just hellions living their own self-centered lives. And you go, what? And Jesus is also going, what? Because that is not repentance. And that's what C.S. Lewis is saying. Point number four, repentance unleashes divine power to get us unstuck. So once you turn to Jesus, divine power is released to get us unstuck in the ways that we're stuck. And here's the real surprise for me. It's like, whoa, in the section we're about to jump into. A on your outline, Jesus gives us repentance. And so there's a lot of mystery here. You're responsible to repent, but it's a gift to you. How do you resolve that? 
And that's what we're talking about. But I want to show you first, it is a gift that Jesus gives. Acts 11:18 reads, So then, God has given repentance resulting in life even to the Gentiles. Now, before we read the next one. So, the religious people, the religious elite, are the ones that when they hear the message, this church is all about helping people move from wherever they are to where God wants them to be. I love this church because it helps all those other people. And they don't hear it for themselves. Everybody else needs to take those steps. And they listen to a message and they go like this, that's for you. <laughs> right? And when we listen that way, we're just like the Pharisee. No, it's for me too. We still need to take steps. So if you're only thinking about repentance, yeah, I did that once. Way back when is when I repented. And now I'm good. If that's the way you think of repentance, no, 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 no. Let me just tell you honestly, I repented yesterday. I'm not proud of it. I needed to. I repented yesterday. I was in a little family get-together, and we had a little discussion about... uh, a conversation I had with people that total false doctrine, and uh, they said, well, what did you say? And I said, what I said, and my wife said, I can't, you said that? Oh, I can't believe you said that. And all of a sudden, I was thinking, what, what, it's the truth. And I've said this to you before, I am the most dangerous when I'm right, (laughs) okay? And I know I'm right, I am the most dangerous. It's like, so I started thinking about, what, what did I do? I was trying to help them with the truth, I'm right. And the very next verse, although that's not the point I'm trying to make, I came to here ready to go with this, and all of a sudden I was reminded again with this verse, opponents must gently, must be gently instructed. It's the gently part that I missed out. Opponents must be gently instructed. Whoops. I, I was full of truth, but I wasn't full of grace. And Jesus is full of truth and grace. And so... I didn't let it just ruin my evening. I, I, I was driving alone for a little short bit, and I said, Lord God, uh, I guess I need to repent. I wasn't full of grace. I wasn't kind. I want to be kind and deliver kindness truth. I mean, then we can continue to discuss it. I just kind of wanted to, you're wrong. I don't want, don't come back. It was kind of my attitude. It wasn't right. I repented. So let's, let's go with the thought that I was actually going for. 2 Timothy 2.25, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant, that's the same word as we just looked at in Acts 11.18, that give, grant, give them repentance. So God gives us repentance. He grants us repentance. So how does that work exactly? If we're responsible, how does he grant it to us? So be on your outline. Jesus gives us repentance that rewires you, that rewires you. Those of you who would like to really hang on to this next portion, good luck with the hand cramps and write stuff down. We're talking about points one, two, three, four. It's not on your outline. Your mind, he rewires your mind. Two, your emotions, he rewires your emotions. Three, your will, he rewires your will. Four, he rewires your body. Here's how it works. How? Your mind. Where you enter into a total agreement with God that your sin is utterly wrong, repulsive, and disgusting to God. When you get there, you have been rewired. If you just want forgiveness, but you really still like your sin, hmm, you aren't rewired yet. You're just wanting forgiveness, and you want to go on in the same wrong path. It's total agreement that God's way is good and beautiful. 
total agreement that sin dishonors God and ruins your humanity. As you turn to Jesus, he says, here, I'll help you. And as you start walking with Jesus, you go, yeah, right, this is better, right? This is beautiful. I used to think that was better. And he starts to give you renewed thoughts, renewed mind. He rewires your mind. Two, he rewires your emotions. That's not just a dread of punishment. Now, that wires, man, man, it's like, I don't want to go to hell. I repent. Forgive me. So your emotions go, okay, I feel better now. It says that he's forgiven me, and so now I can go sin, and I'm forgiven, and it's good. No, 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 no. Rewires your emotions. It's, you can dread the punishment, but still love the sin, and know he's going to rewire your emotions to where you don't love the sin. Not just a remorse for being caught either, but a deep desire to return to God and goodness. So he rewires your emotions. That's repentance. Rewiring your mind, rewiring your emotions, and he gives this to you. And number three, he rewires your will. Now, the demand for repentance clearly implies human free will and individual responsibility, but it is equally clear that God takes the initiative and gives us repentance. How does that work? This paradox reflects the mysterious relationship between people in relationship with a gracious Savior, God. God will accept no external substitute for the necessary internal change. That would be penance. If I can do this external substitute, I'm good. No, he wants the internal change. Neither will God accept remorse on the inside without a desire and effort to change on the outside. Okay? So all of that is a rewiring of your will. And then he rewires your body. Your body is rehabituated. That's a big word. Rehabituated by all of this rewiring. It just simply means he gives you new habits. Habituated? New habits, new patterns, new appetites that he forms in you as you're walking with him. Now some of you, even without walking with Jesus, you've discovered this before. You used to be a desertaholic. You used to always be into fast foods, and then you started realizing it's killing me. I got to do something about it. So you go on that, you know, diet, and you no longer desertaholic, and you're thinking, why did God make all the foods that are good for you taste so terrible? That's how you think. That's how I thought when I was a kid. Why is it all the good stuff tastes so bad? All the bad for you stuff tastes so good. But if you are rehabituated and you really start eating the good for your foods, you start to develop a liking for the new good for your foods. And you start to go, woo, that other stuff is killing me. Hmm, I can do without that. And you don't even crave it after a while. Maybe you've never experienced that, but that's possible. All right. Now, how does all of this work? So we're going to go back to the Jordan revisit Johnny Dunker and see how all this, how could we be responsible and it be a gift and we want to revisit this. When Jesus came to John the Baptist, he says, you baptize me. And John the Baptist says, what? You're the guy. You're him. You're the one. I said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the Holy One. He's the one that's without sin. And now he's coming to me. He's asking me to baptize him. So John says, no, 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 no. You should be the one that baptizes me. And Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. And this was his answer, Matthew 3.15. This is weird. Jesus replied, let it be so now, 
it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness, then John consented. Why, why, why would the perfect man who's never sinned, and all the disciples who lived with him three and a half years, they're the ones saying it. We live with him day in, day out. He's not a sinner. He's pure, he's holy, he's perfect. You live with me for a week, you will never say that. Okay, but you live with Jesus, it's like, he's perfect, he's holy. Why would this guy repent? What does he have to repent for? And Jesus says, this is, this is why. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Now, I want you to join with me in an adventure of imagination. We're going to sanctify this imagination, but I just need to remind you, the way I'm imagining it is not how it went down in the Bible. We're just going to embellish it a little bit to get a hold of what the meaning is. So I want you to imagine we're there, and we got in line to repent and to be baptized by John. And then this Jesus guy's there, and he goes up and down the line. Now, this is really weird, but we don't know why. In my imaginary story, we all had to register and get name tags, okay? So we all got name tags, and we're all wearing these name tags. We're all in line. Jesus is going up and down the line. He goes up to Andy, and he says, Andy, can I have your name tag? So what for? Oh, I just want to do something with it. Said, okay. And so Andy goes, and gives him the name tag. And then Jesus takes this big, fat, black marker and puts under Andy's name, adulterer, and gives it back. Andy goes, oh, why did you put that on my name? Oh, that's ugly. I can't believe you put adulterer under my name tag. And he says, well, it's true. No, it is not. I have never committed adultery. Andy, yes, you have. No, I have not. Never. Yes, you have, Andy. Now, Jesus is saying this with complete love, complete sincerity, and he knows that he cares for him, and so Andy's going, what are you talking about? And Jesus says, you have lusted after other women, and although you didn't do anything, you completely enjoyed it, and you keep going there. You, in your heart, an adulterer. And he just began to well up with tears. His head goes down. He says, you're right. How did you know? Andy, would you like to have your adultery forgiven? Yeah, that's why I'm in this line. Give me your name tag. I'll take it away. You can do that? I can. That's why I'm in this line. Okay, Here. And then Jesus takes the name tag and sticks it on him. And then he goes down the line and he sees Martha. Martha, can I see your name tag? Why? I just want to write something on it. Okay. Hands it to Jesus. Jesus takes a big fat marker and puts underneath it, murderer. And she looks at it and goes, why did you do that to my name tag? I don't want to put that back on. You, you, you just called me a murderer. No, I've never murdered. Martha, Yes, you have. I have not. Martha, you did this morning. What? What you said about Lydia in front of those other ladies. And she just went dark. How did you know? She character assassinated a woman and inside of her were angry, dirty, take you out thoughts that she had spoken bad things about Lydia. Then Jesus says, would you like that to be forgiven? Yeah, I wasn't even thinking about that one when I got in this line. I can take that away for you. You can? 
Would you like me to take it away for you? Yeah. Here, give it to me. And Jesus puts it on him. He goes up and down the line speaking to every one of us and we're in this line. He comes up to me. He says, can you hand me your name tag, Jim? Okay. Hand it to him. He says, I'm not quite sure what to put here. You've done so many. (laughs) But I'm going to put one label that covers them all. Every single one of your sins, Jim, is because of your pride. And instantly, my head is down because I've been humiliated by the truth. It is so true. Every sin I ever committed is because of my ego, my pride, my self-absorption, my self-centeredness. Every single thing was about me. He says, would you like me to take that from you? Can you? Can you do that? I can. And he puts my name tag on. He's got every one of our name tags plastered all over him. And we watch him go into the water and we know exactly where our name tag was placed on his body. And John baptizes him. And we're all looking. And in the water, black ink is just swirling around his body and we're trying to figure out what's happening. And as he comes out, black ink is coming off. And as the black ink finally disappears, each name tag, and we're looking for our own, we see our name tag and it's the name there. And then there's something glowing beneath. And our bad labels are completely removed. And in the place of murderer, adulterer, pride, and everything else that you can name, our other shining words, loved, forgiven, accepted, significant, secure, whole, free. And then somebody says, hey, look at the water. And we all look back to the water and where that black inky mess was swirling around, it's become red and moving away from Jesus' body as far as the east is from the west. And Jesus walks out, black ink gone, red dripping off, and walks into the rest of his ministry. The bookend that starts his public ministry is exactly the same as the bookend that finishes his public ministry. He carries our identity as he identifies with us. He gives us repentance and he dies on the cross. By the purification of his death on the cross, we can be made pure. And by the power of his resurrection, we are given the ability to change. And here's the reflect. Repentance is God's gift and our responsibility. I want us to finish with this prayer. It reads this way. Lord Jesus, thank you for identifying with us, repenting for us, and granting us repentance. We repent and ask for your help, rewiring our minds our emotions, our wills, and our bodies. Thank you for taking away our sin labels and washing us clean and giving us our new identity in you. We turn to you to live for you.
Amen. Let's stand together. If this is something you'd like to cry out for and ask for your label to be removed, to be set free, to be given an identity in Jesus Christ where he absorbs your sin and comes alongside of you to help you to change, you'll want to pray this prayer. Let's pray it aloud, loudly and with faith. Lord Jesus, thank you for identifying with us, repenting for us and granting us repentance. We repent and ask for your help in rewiring our minds, our emotions, our wills, and our bodies. Thank you for taking away our sin labels and washing us clean and giving us our new identity in you. We turn to you to live for you. Amen. Amen? If you came today and you're carrying a burden of any kind, small, medium, big, whatever that burden is, don't go away today and do life alone. We've got a prayer team to lift that burden up for you. To have, they'd be happy to pray for you, carry that burden, and let God kind of lift the load for you. See the prayer team. I hope to see you back next week because next week we start a whole new series. It is called One Minute After You Die. It's a tough series. It's a hard series. It's a thoughtful series. Hope to see you back next week. God bless.